Bangly bang on the Empire Podcast this week. Serene McKellen pops in to talk about Mr. Holmes and the Entourage Gang. Drop by to invite us to. <laughs> you gotta stop. That's a great impression of the actors in Entourage. <laughs> it's pretty good isn't it? to hug it out. Uh, all that unusual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcaster uh, was devastated to be overlooked for the Top Gear job. Camshafts, torques, fan belts. Got all the car knowledge. Just coming out of our asters. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. I was stuck in traffic near Birmingham this morning, but I've made it here by the skin of my teeth. Uh, you will be delighted to know, because it means I can inflict, as you've already heard, an endless Emma Kellen impression on you. Uh, joining me this week, two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first up is our resident Jurassic Park expert, a man who knows everything there is to know about Isla Nublar, Isla Sorna, and Isla Sinclair. It's Nick Dissemblian. How are you? Hello. It can camouflage. I just watched the film again yesterday, and that's uh, that's the dying line of uh, of a character in the film. I just love that he yells out a bit of exposition as he <laughs> as he hits the ground. But um, you watched it again. I watched it again. I spotted myself this time. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to keep going back until I saw myself, <laughs> and finally I did in two D. Maybe that helped. Is that because but, you can um, camouflage? So are you in every scene, but just camouflaged? I am now. Amazing. So that's as Edmund, if anyone doesn't know, Nick, uh, when he visited the set of Jurassic World, was offered <laughs> a cameo part by the director Colin Trevorrow playing... <laughs> cameo is strong. <laughs> Extra. I was going to be in a close-up. I was going to be just behind the kids, but then the, the AD went, no, we've already shot a scene with the kids, so okay. you have to go right over there where no one will be able to see you. But, but I'm still very happy. You're Edmund, a tourist who visits the island, uh, Jurassic World, and... And then what happens? Well, his storyline is left very much open for the sequel. Yeah, okay. So just just wait and see. I can't say well, anything else. That's very, very good. That's, that's great news. Someone who isn't in Jurassic World is our geek queen, who this week was very, 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 very happy to know that a supernatural alum is coming to UK. So expect him to be wrestled in the pod booth, <laughs> gagged and bound, uh, which might make talking to him difficult. It's not Sam or Dean, though, is it, Helen? It's not. It's, it's the king of hell. The King Played of Hell. Played by Mark Shepard. It would be actually Mark Shepard and not the King of Hell we'd be inviting in, just to be clear. Um, no, I just think it'd be, you know, after after wanging on about it all these months, perhaps you guys should hear it from Wang the horse's being mouth. being the operative. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Have you actually seen Supernatural? Because I'm just wondering if like, you're just <laughs> bluffing it all this time. No, I have totally seen it. Yes, I like it when they, they stake the vampires and they turn to dust and also also when they fly the vipers through space. Oh, yeah. And do you remember the episode where they, they managed a leisure centre and everything went wrong? There was oh, a that secretary was with the baby in the drawer. Yeah. That was fun. And the hotel in Torquay. <laughs> Indeed. So who is this? This guy, Mark Shepard, he plays Crowley, yes? Yeah. Okay. He was in Battlestar Galactic, actually, which is why the vipers came to mind, um, where he was a lawyer. Okay, we have uh, just one question this week. Uh, this is from at Random River, who asks, "Who has the best office in film and TV?" As I'm currently checking, as I'm currently chaining the West Wing, chaining the West Wing. Chain I would have said, chain? yeah, yeah. It's chain. like chain smoking, I guess. Yeah, new, I, guess. I think guessing this is new street slang. <laughs> new street slang. <laughs> chaining the West Wing. Chain. Get chain. down with the kids, Chris. Come on. Chain watching. I'm gonna. Okay, chaining. Okay, as I'm currently watching the West Wing, I would say Leo McGarry says Random River. I mean, Leo has a nice office, but it's it's quite small. I mean, it's it's very tasteful, but it doesn't have like majestic views of an entire city or anything. I guess the advantage well, like Christian is Christian Grey. Oh no, let's not. No, that's an office. Is it? That's an office. 
Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it is. Um, All right, fine. I've nice just got Christian Grey in my mind because we're recording this on the day that Grey, E.L. James's cash uh, follow-up to... Uh, <laughs> the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Like, how much more money do you need? This is the one released? that leaked last week. Well, leaks leaked it, everywhere, leaks. yeah. Oh. <laughs> it leaked everywhere and then it was released finally. It it, it, had, it, it, it gained its release this today. Um, I, yeah, I saw I saw on uh, Amazon that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, the Blu-ray, is having an early release, which... Uh, it's unfortunate. Is an unfortunate <laughs> wording, I'd say, for that. That's never happened to Christian Grey before, so... Stop that with your accusations. Yeah, but that's that's out today. Uh, Kat Brown, formerly of this parish, has been live blogging it uh, for The Telegraph, where she now works. And the standout phrase so far from uh, E.L. James <laughs> Gray is, because it's told from Christian Gray's point of view, is, my cock agrees. Oh. Yeah, I, th- I genuinely think that's his equivalent of my inner goddess did a salsa or whatever the hell her inner goddess does uh, at any given moment but he seems to have more of a one track you know that's great that it's on the same page (laughs) it's important (laughs) it's important to be simpatico it it really is yeah Yeah. absolutely any more offices I like a good sci-fi office Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. I I am very fond of Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg's office in uh, The Fifth Element what's he got in there he one. has like the little uh, magic uh, vacuum cleaner thing, the little robots that come out and a beautiful dance and shoes uh, after a glass is broken. Um, he has uh, a secretary who has a magic machine to do her nail polish mm. and crazy clothes by Jean-Paul Gaultier. And it's just, you know, it's a little bit interesting. He's got a nice view over an entire city, possibly altitude sickness because it seems to be quite high. But That's not yeah, bad. That's a pretty good that's office. That's pretty I good. Think. Mm. The first one, the very first office that popped into my head was Men in Black. Mm. And not just because it sort of was an Apple store before Apple stores were a thing, but it's just stuffed with aliens and just craziness going on at all times. So like an Apple store. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, And I would also put in a a shout for Blade Runner's, uh, Tyrell's office in Blade Runner. Actually, any of the offices in Blade Runner, they're all really cool. But Mm. his in particular, because again, he's got the best view. Mm -hmm. Yes. So do you like offices, any of the offices in, say, Office Space or Harbour Bosses? (laughs) You know, just like general office offices or, you know, cubicles. No, like ne- I, I don't like Neo's cubicle those. in The Matrix or uh, no. Billy Pelcher's cubicle in Gremlins 2. Well, they're meant to be terrible offices, aren't yeah. they? They're yeah. Not, they're not good ones. In terms of good ones, thank you for smoking. Rob Lowe's office in that is amazing. Oh, yeah, that's a nice office. Koi, pond, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Lots of bamboo and such. Hudsucker Proxy, Paul Newman's office. Yep. Yes. Sure, sure. Although I'd maybe go next door to the president's office, which I quite like as well. Good point. I mean, because he's got a sofa and definitely a bathroom. We don't see that in, in Newman's office. That's in a good in point. Uh, what's his name? Sidney J. Musburger? White Goodman's office in Dodgeball. <laughs> no, that's, that's an amazing that, office. That yes. And I can't imagine most people who run a gym have such a huge, extravagant office yeah. with a gigantic uh, portrait of them on the wall. Yeah, seizing the, bull, bull. seizing the bull by the horns. It's a metaphor. But it actually happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got one that actually contributes to the plot of a movie, Jeff Rabin, in The Usual Suspects, Dan Hedaya's character, because his office obviously oh. contains everything that uh, Furble Kent needs to spin his yarn for the cops, you know, on his on his whiteboard behind uh, behind him. So yeah, that's, that's fair. A, yeah. That's a I love that you can actually buy a Kobayashi white mug online, <laughs> which is you would never know what that is because it only says Kobayashi on the bottom, so you'd have to keep. Showing it to people, well, you'd have to keep smashing it, wouldn't you? <laughs> you'd have to keep chucking <laughs> it on the floor. I'd, I'd have to drink it every time I was. I felt I was on the cusp of a revelation, and then just you know drop it. But yeah. and if you have carpet, it's not going to smash. It's oh. a, it's 
it's a bit convoluted. Maybe you could just place it on the floor and then point at it so people get the idea. <laughs> and little robots could come and uh, tidy it up if you're Zorg. Phil had a suggestion for this. Okay. Uh, Phil, my brother. Um, it's uh, black and white, obviously. And it is uh, Herr Hinkle's office in The Great Dictator, which is, uh, if you recall, resplendent with a gigantic globe, which yep. you can roll around on. That that is actually a beautiful, beautiful office. I would, yeah, totally agree with that. That's amazing. Top secret. I can't remember his name, but the head Nazi's office mm-hmm. with the enormous telephone and so on. Yes, is is a pretty nice office. That is a pretty good office. So maybe that. Yeah. So, Nazis have all the best offices. I guess. <laughs> that seems to be the case. It it, it is going Nazis that way. and megalomaniacs. It is going that way. Uh, any any great offices this year? Did you like Immortan Joe's office? <laughs> <laughs> in Fury Road, did we like Tony Stark's got quite a nice Tony office? Tony Stark I has guess, a hell know? of an office. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lack of great offices. I think. I think if the, you know, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of hate weirdly being thrown Jurassic World's way, and I think mainly it's because there's not a great office in that film. Yeah, that's um, I mean, probably it. There's a nice control room, but the lack of an office really mm. angered me as a as a as a salary man as a as, as a, an office yeah, worker as an office worker. Yeah, you felt disrespected. I did feel a little bit disrespected, mm. to be honest. So. Uh, uh, yeah, that's There's why. too much discipline in that control room, isn't there? The, <laughs> with all the little dinosaur toys we have in our office, <laughs> we would get in a lot of trouble, I think, with the authorities there. So are you talking office discipline? I know I feel like we should mention secretary. Yeah. <laughs> and we're back to 50 shades of grey. There you go. And on that bombshell. Um, it's yeah. the Death Star in office. It's the Death Star and office. I'd love to just see them doing some photocopying. <laughs> it's the Death Star Some admin. Office. Yeah, and there's got to be water coolers. You never see a water cooler, do you, on the Death Star? But yeah, you never. Yeah. It's a concern. You know what I read the other week about something that never appears in Star Wars, and I think offices is definitely one of them. But something else that doesn't appear in Star Wars is paper. There's mm. no paper at any point in any movie uh, in the Star Wars saga. Maybe J.J. Abrams with his, you know, his uh, his analog approach will have someone. Give me that paper. Give me that paper. Walk with me. Yeah, to my office. Maybe mm. that would be a nice scene. If JJ, if you're listening, and I know you are. There's still time to put in a scene where someone has. A, has no, you're paper. right. Paper. You're right. Office. It's all holographic. <laughs> then I have to mention. If we're talking about offices, I have to talk about the office in disclosure. <laughs> I love this film. Do you remember this film? <laughs> you don't Mid-90s. love this film. Do you really you genuinely love this film? It is a film. film. It is a fr- thriller that climaxes <laughs> with Michael Douglas <laughs> doing virtual reality filing. Uh, <laughs> he puts on a virtual reality gloves and helmet. And goes into a, a virtual filing cabinet. Yes, he and does. it's amazing. I'm now thinking about offices yeah. in space, and um, we didn't mention Captain Picard, who is a great one. And talk about a view, seriously. Um, yes. yes, but it's it's interesting about paper, isn't it? Because Star Trek obviously doesn't really have paper either. Um, at least traditionally on TV, they have mm. those little, well, essentially iPads. Let's be honest. But Battlestar Galactica does, and what they do is they just clip the edges off the paper. Everything is eight sided. Have you noticed that? Not four sided. Mm. Uh, it's been a while since I saw uh, Battlestar Galactica. The good one, not the old one. Oh, right, 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 right. I'm going to mention one more office, which is great. Actually, just a couple, because uh, I'm going through, as usual, the IMDb's list of the biggest films of all time. I'm just reminded of uh, M's office yeah. in Bond, which is, yes, Helen, <laughs> uh, but it's such an iconic office. Q's I office. love Q's office. Cool. That's not an office, that's a workshop. It's an office. It's a workshop. It's got staplers that have flames coming out of them and everything. <laughs> Is that what you need to become an office? <laughs> it's just got a photocopy of the that blows a, people up. A stapler that can kill you, and of course Frank Drebin's office in the Naked Gun. What? A, what an what amazing! What an office! 
It has everything. It has, you know, filing cabinets, it has the missing evidence in the calendar case. My God, he was innocent. Uh, you know, it's... it's. Frankie went to the chair two years ago. Oh, such a film. Such a film. And the best of the trilogy, I think Nick will agree. Uh, Ghostbusters office, that's a good one. Great office. Great office. Mm. Shut we it down. Could, Shut we it could down be now. here all day. And we didn't mention any TV shows, did we? No. Well, apart from The West Wing at the beginning. Well, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would talk about CTU till the uh, terrorist cows come home, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They've got amazing monitors. Yeah. Ter- terrorist cows, another thing to be scared of. <laughs> Jesus. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, send it in to us via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Uh, we are... Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, send it in to us via Twitter. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. Otherwise, chances are we won't see it because we're so wildly popular. Uh, you can uh, Facebook us as well, Empire Magazine. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, our first guests this week are the four main stars of an HBO sitcom, which has finally made it into a movie. Uh, no, not that one. This is Entourage. Yes, the Mark Wahlberg produced show is breaking out this week on the big screen and its original stars Adrian Grenier, Kevin Conley, Kevin Dillon and Jerry Ferrara, aka Fince, E, Drama and Turtle are back, back, back. They uh, popped into our pod booth last week. Uh, all four of them at once. Chaos reigns and they spoke to Ali Plum who greeted them with a nice warm chat. Enjoy. Could you tell me your name, the name of your character and a bit about your character for the umpteenth time today, if you could just deliver a little bit about okay. who you are, where you came from. Shall I start? Please. Sure. Yes, you, yes, you should. Kevin Dillon. Um, I play Johnny Drama Chase. And my character is a struggling actor who's got a, a more famous younger brother who um, just finished a movie that his brother directed him in, in this movie. And uh, he feels he did some of the best work of his career. He f- figures he... He figured out everything about acting and knows exactly uh, how to do everything. And his career is going to go to the next level. Unfortunately, not everyone agrees. They want to cut him out of the film. And that's where he's at. I'm Jerry Ferrara. I play Turtle, the uh, very, very loyal sidekick slash driver to Vincent Chase over the years. He started off in the pilot negotiating with girls to make out with them and he'll show them where Vince eats breakfast in the morning <laughs> to basically getting into the octagon with Ronda Rousey to prove he wants to uh, to date her and doesn't have bad interests. So uh, he's the ultimate sidekick. He thinks Vincent Chase is the biggest movie star on the planet, good or bad, high or low. And uh, he's also loyal to the Eric character and the Johnny Drama character. This is his friends for life. My name is Kevin Connolly. I play Eric E. Mad Dog Murphy. E. Murph. <laughs> a New York transplant from Queens. Uh, grew up with the guys and uh, managing a Sparrow's pizza place. And Vince decides that uh, he needs a little help navigating through his career, so he moves me out. Four guys navigating through the uh, shark-infested waters of, of Hollywood together. Uh, loyalty and friendship and standing by each other through thick and thin. And, uh, yeah, we all work for the uh, the big guy, Vincent Chase. That would be me. That would be you. Adrian Grenier. I play Vince, Vincent, <laughs> Vincenzo, Vincenzo Wince Chase. Chase. I like that, Vincenzo Chase. <laughs> he is the reason the entourage exists. He got discovered off a Mentos commercial <laughs> and uh, was quickly swept to Hollywood and, and became very rich and famous and was able to finance the lifestyle of the entourage and um, 
So, Are you the reason the entourage exists? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's, you know, you, you didn't know that. <laughs> and I became very rich and famous. <laughs> well, look, it's, it, this is about the lifestyle, uh, getting an inside glimpse, being part of the entourage. These guys are so down to earth. They're working class guys who have been given an opportunity to live uh, the spoils and riches of fame. And mm -hmm. uh, that's the fun part. But the like Kevin was saying, it's really about how they bond together and um, support each other despite all of the, 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 the toys and all of the hmm. spoils. Can we just talk a little bit about shooting that Mentos commercial? Because <laughs> it's amazing. You do the most amazing, pardon the expression, shit-eating grin. Like straight to camera of, yeah! yeah. How many takes? Uh, you know, I couldn't four get days. enough of that. Four I days of that one, yeah. Days. I could not get enough. I, I had so much fun uh, shooting that. Because, you know, it's it's one of those classic, you know, everybody knows what a Mentos commercial is, what it's like. And, you know, it was an honor to be able to, you know, break out my shit-eating shit grin for a change. The other change. funny thing about it, too, is, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a story point for, from the show, years. from the beginning. Mm. So to eight years later, <laughs> then go back and actually shoot the commercial. How did they make you look so young? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it was a good funny. Payoff. It was funny. Yeah, it was a great payoff because you know, again, we've been talking about it since season one, the Mentos commercial, and then you know, in the movie, here we are, you know, shooting the commercials. Finally, we've also got Gary Busey comes back. We're big fans of Gary Busey at Empire. We did this amazing feature with him where we went to his house, and it was odd. What is the weirdest thing he's ever said to you? <sighs> Come on, Kev, you got it. Kev. It's going to take up a lot of your Probably. podcast right here. Yeah. <laughs> one day we were on set and. I just felt like he was staring at me. He was like kind of looking at me, you know. And I was doing that sort of thing where you're kind of looking over your shoulders to see that hopefully he's staring at somebody else and there's nobody there. And I'm like, wow, he's he's staring at me. He's like, like Gary's a big guy, dude. He's a strong dude. And he comes over. He's like, Kevin, you and I are going to play a little game called Tickle and Pee. And I was like, uh, what's that? What's that, Gary? I'm going to hold you down. I'm going to tickle you until you pee. I said, Gary. Please don't do that. There's you know, 150 <laughs> crew man. members here. I'm 36 years old. <laughs> Please don't hold me down and tickle me. Because I'm ticklish to boot, too. So I would have peed. The key eventually. is just pee early and get it over with. <laughs> so there he is, like, chasing me and, like, running across giggling. the lawn, giggling, trying to get away from him, thinking, like, how long is he going to go along with this bit? And then he grabbed me and he, like, held me down and was tickling me. It was... It was humiliating. It was truly emasculating. Just what pouring happened? water over your crotch going, look, it happens. Yeah. Let's move on. You, you know, I actually I saw him for Halloween in Malibu. I ran into him. And he's like, hey, I'm hearing about the Entourage movie. Hey, are you guys going to bring me in? So I, had, I actually had to say, Doug, what about Gary? You going to get him in? And uh, he's like, well, yeah, I guess we're going to have to have Gary in there somewhere. But uh, I mean, it wouldn't be. He was it Asian wouldn't now. be. Oh, you got to have. You got to have Gary Busey. His some first words. But he's words, difficult to. I mean, he's a great guy, but he's kind of tricky. His first to words yeah, times, to know, Doug Allen. So he, out there. He said, Doug, I'm not going to give you your words. I'm going to give you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not a way to lead. Off. I don't know many actors who could say that to a director and get away with it. But Gary's writer, one of them. And the writer words. director. Just takes the script in front of him and just. Basically, oh, yeah, he, yes. you know, it's funny. There's talk about like people improving and it's like at the end of the day like the show is very highly scripted and there was not a lot of improv the guy who probably did the most he's got the green light was yeah. Gary Busey he's got the green light because he just didn't ask permission <laughs> he just said whatever can we talk a bit about uh, this is a bit left field Viking Quest please sure sure tell me <laughs> tell me you have as a memento somewhere in your house 
because Viking Quest listeners, hello, uh, is the fictional TV show slash movie series uh, on cable that um, dramas in where he plays a Viking. No shit. Uh, so, do you have the massive gargantuan hat? You know, do this you have is, any this memorabilia at all? This is a bummer because I wanted to buy it. And, no, uh, they priced it because they knew the value of it at this stage. So they, you know, you'd think they would kind of give it to me at a good price, sure, being that nice. I made it famous, kind mm-hmm. of. Or, yeah. It's for your head. And it, they, I think they wanted, they wanted over five grand for that. Are you moment. kidding? And That's I, like, I, I just can't. I can't pull the trigger. I'll make you one for half. Yeah, and any Viking hat that you wear will become <laughs> valuable. So you should just buy some cheap ones. We'll the start a business. Thing, it's, it's not even a Viking you know, helmet. It's actually a samurai. It is suit. a samurai like a helmet. samurai suit. You but know, Adrian, they gave the him part. his Aquaman suit. They let Adrian keep his Aquaman suit. <laughs> when was the last time he wore that? When was the last time he put on the Aquaman suit? <laughs> Dinosaur skull. And uh, they made three of them. Remember when you oh, get yeah. to a fight with Scotty Khan? Dylan was like, don't you mess up this. Because if we, you know. We, if, if, we the, if it breaks good the first time, they're going to just move on. And then I'll get to keep one. Because Doug Ellen was going to keep the other. It's an Allosaurus replica and it looked awesome but that's you why made, you treated that scene so important remember you were very yeah, I was like, oh, you guys yeah, really no. make a big deal Kevin about how me perfect aside that said, break I was i want you to go crazy about how much you love that take. and everyone <laughs> did everyone was like oh that was great you're never gonna get it better than that and they said all right let's I don't move need on another. let's move i i, I won't do another you, you the know, whole crew was talking about what, how great how perfect the break was they broke into an applause after the take so i have his dinosaur head i have a leather bound shooting script of medine yeah yeah, ah, nice. of course. There's no words in there, right? Just yeah, I think it's an entourage script in inside, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. but still the outside says Medellin. It's you know branded on the leather. That's cool. That's cool. Can you top that? Anybody else top that? Because I think uh, Dinos- anyone dinosaur skull is pretty great. That's pretty a, that's cool. A hard pretty one cool one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have anything. I have the. I mean, we all we have the. I have the sneakers that were made on the show. We yeah. We, we those are. By the way, those are of real value. We did an episode where the Vince character pays twenty grand for a turtle to get limited Nikes from this artist, and the actual one. We all have a pair, and I have the ones that were the camera one, like they were on camera in the episode that I have locked away because I've gotten some pretty insane offers for those I over bet. the years. Yeah. Well, they, they're super limited edition. I, mean, I think I think they made like eight or nine pairs. Right, a couple of spares. Like, yeah, a few pa- spare yes. pairs, and they're all spares. like labeled and all that kind of stuff. So we got we got we, we yeah. got a pair of those. Do you still have yours, man? I do not. I don't want to tell you what happened. Mine got stolen. What, what <laughs> and it's I had then I found them on eBay. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I gave saw mine the guy the sell goodwill. them. Had like a bandana around <laughs> his face, and I was like, "That's my tenant. That's one of my tenants." Jeez, your yeah, tenant they, stole they, it. One of my tenants. They, they, it was the, the value, brother of one of my tenants. The value of the shoes went up like crazy, crazy amounts of money. So none of us really knew how valuable they were at the time. Still, I mean, you know, as an exchange, you get people on the street asking to hug it out like all the time, right? Does this happen a lot? Hug it out, bro. I think yeah. Jeremy probably gets that more. I than get that. Anyone. I've got well, it. I get maybe because you get hugged out. Of course, you get hugged. I don't hug it out much. Do you get, get, no, get, get, get victory? I, I get victory constantly. I get yeah. once a day. A I'm lot. not even kidding. I get victory once a day. Give me a victory. I don't. I, don't, I rarely do a victory, mm-hmm. but guys are doing it constantly. It's a very special occasion that you bust out a victory. Yeah, every once in a while, at the right <laughs> moment. Wow, if he's it. in a good mood, he'll drop one. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> and everyone talks to you with your character name, right? They just walk up to you and go, "Drama, could you help me? You know, tell yes. me where the nearest tube station is." And yes, well, that happens all it's the time. Johnny or drama or hey. Uh, Where's he? Where's Vince? They're, they're at the mansion. They, they think it's all real. The lines are blurred. But we're, even for us, I mean... Where's I, Ari? He's at the agency. 
We, we were do doing a, an episode of WWE recently, and we were supposed to be playing ourselves. I couldn't stop calling Kevin Johnny. It's weird to be shooting something <laughs> yeah, and calling so him. Not, not Those calling are some him. blurry lines. We, we wrestled. Yeah, we wrestled. So that was weird. I felt like we did that six months ago. I mean, it's, a, it's only <laughs> yeah, two, two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago. Crazy. Speaking of which, what was it like all appearing on the Ellen sofa at once? Was that a was that a trippy? I felt experience? like we were ambushed. <laughs> Like oh, Ellen with the, with the game. She had a couple questions we weren't expecting on it. Yeah, that, that, that was. That. Did you see that bit? It was pretty funny. I she threw that. us under the bus, and like from the from well, the we first played question. Never have I ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't like Never have I ever we, went to a party. She opened up with like Never have I ever what like had slept a threesome. had a threesome. That was her opener. If you ever had sex in your trailer, was one of the, the first questions. <laughs> you know, only from Ellen that we could accept it coming from Ellen. But well, yeah, sure. it, well, it's just because it's daytime TV. You don't. I just didn't think that they I did expect, that. Stuff. I didn't see it coming. Of all the episodes that you'd want people to look back on and say, you know what, could you just go and watch that last one? Because I really am proud of my work there. I just think it's really funny. For people who maybe watched a bit of Entourage or, or no Entourage, what episode stands out for you looking back? I would go with the uh, the one where I get t- terrible reviews in five towns. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to kill the reviewer who works at Variety or Hollywood Reporter. I forget which it's one. Variety. It's Variety. So I go into the office. I call him out. I'm going to beat him up. And. Uh, it actually started off in a rub and tug and I ended up over there. And, uh, <laughs> and then I get all bummed out. I think my career's over. I drive out to the Grand Canyon. You think he's going to drive his Lincoln off the Grand Canyon and then wakes up in the morning and the guys call him up and say, hey, Five Towns is a hit. You're on a hit show. Uh, that to me was one that of was the best. The, that was the, the great Johnny drama episode. That was a great, great got episode. You nominated that was for a Emmy. selfish episode you, for me to like that one. The best. But, um, are we going around and doing oh, please. this? please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a the the finale of season two, which is where we all think Vince is gonna quit Aquaman because he can't work with Mandy Moore, and then he's in a terrible fight with E. We're all from Johnny Drama and Turtle freezing him out because we think he's making a terrible decision, and he ends up doing the movie, and it ends with us driving off the lot of Paramount, and the camera cranes up and says Aquaman, summer of whatever the year was, and right. it goes out with that. Uh, I don't remember the name of the song. It's the same song that was like in Goodfellas. It just was a great. Mm. I just was one of the greatest endings we ever did to an episode like and Ian, a season. Ian Vince were in a terrible fight. Terrible fight. <laughs> you drove. We, we a few of I those. feel like we need some nostalgic schmaltzy music playing right here. <laughs> well, I, piano. I, honestly, um, well, there, there's different kind of levels to it. Like you know, like Kevin said, I mean, I think we we all have our our episodes that we liked for ourselves. You know, our characters personally, but you know, from uh, from a production standpoint. You know, we did some really cool things with 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 the Sundance episode. Sure. Was just a, just a great episode because nobody had done that before. Nobody nobody knew what Sundance was. You know, that episode aired, and I had twenty five of my friends from Long Island calling me screaming, "We're going to Sundance! <laughs> we want to go to Sundance! Spring Break! <laughs> yeah, Parks exactly." Um, and you know, we did the same thing with Can, and you know, so there there were some really good achievements in, in, in production, but my favorite episode of, of all time is the welcome. It's called welcome to the jungle. And it's when we're actually shooting Medellin because we, we did different things. It was kind of like a, like a mockumentary like spinal drama. Time. It was yeah. like, there was just, it was just something different about, it was just something different about it. And we were like on set and we were like in the trenches and, and Reese Corio is Billy Walsh. It's just so good. Um, so that, that's my favorite, my favorite episode to, to watch. And, uh, you know, it's funny cause that was the first episode of season four and that season ends with us 
with the movie being a bomb in Cannes. So <laughs> season four was always my favorite because then we also had these guys in furry outfits. And uh, yeah, I love the, the furry the, that, that was, by the way, that was and, all season four. And, and by the way, yeah, I I liked that episode because I had. I was I had a beard. I didn't have to shave. <laughs> right. And you know, if you have a beard as you do, and we all, <laughs> as men, have know how, su- how how much it sucks to have to shave every day. Uh, but since we're being nostalgic, I'm just going to say, you know, the, the first pilot episode. There we go. You know, if you go back and you look at it, it's Ew. so scrappy, so young. It, I mean, we we so we just. We were literally scrapping it together. We didn't know what we were building. You know, we had a lot of conflicts. We were insecure about, you know, whether or not we were getting it right. And then when you look back, you just see there's so much heart. There's so much bonding and brotherhood and so much fun. And it's, it's, not, it's not the slickest of any of our episodes, but it, we were definitely working favorite. out I'm some surprised kicks. you said that. Was, yeah, we, uh, we, we still had a lot some... of issues. Yeah. But, 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 but he's right from a nostalgic standpoint. I, I feel it like it was three. Rough. The first two weren't. Weren't great. It was like an indie film. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk about it. it. Thanks for having us. Thank Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. I think this is the last of the day, so go have a great day. I'm going to go take a nap. Nap time. Nap time. Entourage. Yeah, nap time. Nap Okay, it's time for some movie news now. Uh, What's on the movie agenda this week? Is there anything? What's happened? Kenneth Branagh uh, was in the news this week. He is uh, reportedly in talks. Um, to make a new version of Murder on the Orient Express. Christie story, of course. Yes. The one that was previously made with all of the stars. <laughs> I, just, of I just watched this completely yeah, randomly. Really, Phil, Phil bought Which this one? for me three pounds from FOP. Which Head one? down to FOP, <laughs> buy this. And then, only hours later, this was announced. The Albert <gasps> Finney one. The Albert Finney one. You have power. Phil has power. Phil has power. Wow. Um, so that was Albert Finney as Poirot. Uh, no word on who it would be this time. Hey, uh, maybe Branagh himself. Maybe Branagh himself. Branagh, yes. Branagh. Branagh, Branagh. <laughs> I'd forgotten how eccentric Branagh, Branagh. Albert Finney is because I'm so used to the David Suchet version uh-huh. that it's weird. He's so twitchy and weird and mm. yelling out. He barely talks for the first hour of the film and then he doesn't stop talking for the second. It's 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 a weird film, but it's great. So many great people in it. I seem to remember always preferring Peter Ustinov, actually, in terms of old Poirots, pre-Suchet. Yeah, yeah. I'll um, give you that. But uh, but yeah, this seems like a might be a kind of an interesting mm-hmm. change for him. He's done a couple of like big actiony effectsy movies recently, in which mm-hmm. I actually surprisingly include Cinderella, which at least had effects, if not action. And this could be quite quite an interesting sort of a, a slight yeah. change of pace, but not so much. I mean, he has obviously done detective stories before. He's done Wallander on the small screen, that kind of thing. So he does have a little bit of a feel for the genre. I think. Yeah, it's a strange one to do slightly for the reason that the ending is so famous. Well, I, I mm. feel like it is anyway. Yeah. I feel like everyone knows the ending to that film. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, thank, thank goodness. So one person remains unspoiled. So I feel like it's sli- a slightly strange choice for the reason that the ending is so famous and everyone pretty much mm. knows, you know, who done it. Yeah, it was Poirot. <laughs> Come on. No but way. it's a, it's a, it's an all star cast, and yeah. it, it's going to be fun seeing if Branagh manages to marshal the same kind of level yeah. of all star yeah. cast. Well, speaking of all star cast, I'm going to read out the cast. Okay, do it, do it. all right. So okay, Albert Finney yes. as Hercule Poirot. Okay, Lauren Bacall as Mrs. Hubbard. And this is a Sydney Lumet film, by the way. Okay, Lauren Bacall as Mrs. Hubbard. Martin Balsam as Bianchi. Ingrid Bergman taking a break from directing all the Swedish movies uh, as Greta. Uh, <laughs> Jacqueline Bissett as Countess Andrani. Uh, Jean-Pierre Cassel. Jean-Pierre Cassel as Pierre. That's, that's typecasting, that, surely. That's Come stereotyping, on. yeah. Sean Connery 
as Colonel Arbuthnot. He's very grumpy in this film. Yes. Uh, have you ever heard Sean Connery getting on a train? No, that's not too bad. Uh, John Gilgood as Beddoes, Anthony Perkins, Vanessa Redgrave, Richard oh. Widmark, Michael oh. York, Colin, the great Colin Blakely, all the way down to John Moffat as chief attendant. Uh, I mean, they just, even the small roles, yeah. they're just packed with power. Uh, it's I, amazing. I love it. It's Yeah, it's a great film and a great story. And uh, yeah, I can't believe Poirot does it at the end. That's amazing. <laughs> that's huge. Uh, yeah, we wish all the best to Kenneth Branagh in his uh, Sir Ken. Sir, Sir, Ken. Sir Kenneth Sir Ken, uh, in his uh, efforts to make that movie it's been a long time since we've seen Poirot who, who should play Poirot that's the big that's <gasps> the big question isn't it well yeah was Helen, was Helen was saying, could Branagh do it himself mm. I mean it has to be so well, a guy Branagh, in his 40s 50s maybe Patrick Stewart is he getting Patrick on a wee bit too old is he too old I think he's too old he'd be good though he's, he's, got, the, he's got the skull shape for it Hugh Grant Hugh Grant no no Kevin no. James <laughs> but he's on one of those little segways he's just rolling up and down the train interrogating people Hercule Poirot train cop oh god I'm in please stop before you give Hollywood ideas sorry that would be don't amazing. listen to us Hollywood that, no, no do listen to us Hollywood Kenneth Branagh directs Kevin James as Hercule Poirot could Ian McKellen do it and, and do a Sherlock Holmes Hercule Poirot doubleheader Mr. Poirot. So hang on, this is one of the ones where Poirot has his younger, taller assistant with him, isn't it? Hastings. Yes. No. 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 Then forget I said anything and move on. Hastings misses the train, presumably. I don't, I'm making oh. up. He's not. He's not mentioned in it. Okay, fine. Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant could have done that. Well, I was actually thinking Kenneth you're, Branagh and Tom Hiddleston, who made such a good double act in. Now you're talking. Yeah. Now you're talking. On but stage. isn't isn't uh, Poirot meant to be quite a not. Dumpy man, but like he's quite yeah, short. He's isn't shorter. He? Yeah, he's shorter. Yeah. All right, so we got to look for someone who's short, presumably British. Uh, well, know, Belgian. So they can do the, the, <gasps> the Belgian accent. Andy Serkis could do a Poirot. Okay. He could play the Orient Express as well. So if anyone has any ideas, uh, because clearly we, we don't. I liked you, Grant. I thought he was a good suggestion. No. No? No. Okay. Uh, by the way, I'm Hugh Grant's agent. <laughs> I, don't <know> if anyone, <laughs> I don't know if anyone spotted that. I, I like the fact that there's clearly so little news this week that we spent 25 minutes discussing the murder on the Orient Express. Uh, anything else? What's happening? There's a couple of other little ones. Um, Eli Roth um, is apparently going to make uh, an adaptation of the giant shark book Meg. Mm, short for um, Megalodon. Megalodon. Yes, which is an ancient prehistoric gigantus shark. I think is the technical name, actually. Gigantashark. Um, I've read the book. It's the most trashy of trashy books ever. It's a Steve Alton, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. This is essentially Mosasaurus the movie. <laughs> essentially. Wasn't the pitch for this? Because this has been pitched, this has been knocking around Hollywood for years. Yeah, this has been around for a long time. And so I remember the pitch of this was that, uh, that the, the, basically the idea was that it would start with a T-Rex walking along a beach and you're going, oh, a T-Rex, that's pretty big, isn't it? And then... <laughs> And then this huge shark comes out of the water and eats the T-Rex whole and swallows it whole. And you're going, whoa. This sounds familiar. So, yeah, this this would be a, a, a step up in scope for Eli Roth, who's yeah. flirted with big pictures before. He was in talks at one point to direct uh, the adaptation of Stephen King's Cell, which is obviously lots of post-apocalyptic stuff, big scope. Uh, weirdly enough, he was also at one point, I think, going to direct a Baywatch movie. Uh, oh well maybe this is a chance maybe yeah. there's some kind of crossover that could be done here yeah 
And then, of course, there's this other thing as well that he's he's been talking about for ages called uh, Endangered Species, which he's always said it's going to be his Jurassic Park, but he never really said what it is, obviously, for obvious reasons. Mm. But uh, uh, it's interesting because he's definitely getting back on the movie-making horse. Knock, knock. His fifth film is out next week uh, before his fourth film, The Green Inferno, uh, will be out later. Sure. Here's the big problem with this film. Okay. We've had Shark Attack 3. Yes. Which is one of the great gigantic shark movies I think we can all agree uh, any any Empire Foramites who were around a few years ago when they all went nuts for that will remember one of the what greatest a special experience it was that chat up line lives in infamy I think it's fair to say I'm, I'm not even going to spoil it please yeah, watch that film watch that film for that just for that chat up line you'll recognise it when you hear it it's, um, it's a belter <laughs> it is a belter I wonder if it's ever so worked in anyone <laughs> I can't imagine that it has but we've got Shark Attack 3 we've had that <laughs> We've also had Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, <laughs> which, if you remember, had a shark jumping out of the sea to bite an aeroplane. Is that what that's from? Yeah. Okay. So. And shark, Sharknado. Sharknado. The second of which I actually watched, and it begins uh, with the survivors of the original Sharknado um, <laughs> on, in a plane. They're all traumatized from the first movie, and they're in a plane at whatever altitude, and sharks start attacking them. Because there's and a Sharknado, the, and it's oh. it's it gets sillier from there. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> Isn't Sharknado three in this way? Doesn't it have the half? Yes, indeed, it does. Yeah. So anyway, what I'm saying is, he will need really good storytelling, really mm-hmm. good characters, and really good effects to lay those ghosts to rest, and a chat up line that's better than Shark Attack three. Mm. Lay those ghost sharks to rest. Yes. <laughs> but so, I wonder if this is the Jurassic World effect that we're now starting to see. I mean, I don't know when this was. This obviously probably wasn't just greenlit you know, this like week, this week. Yeah. but I wonder if with Jurassic World having made all the money in the world already whether mm. people are going to start digging dinosaur scripts and things like that out there yeah yeah quite possibly uh, I think there, this was rumoured uh, as a, this was a resurrected project about two or three weeks ago I think but mm. Eli's uh, participation in it was only confirmed yesterday so that, that that's cool but what's interesting is whether he goes it's a question of tone isn't it yeah you know, do you go full out ridiculousness and try and somehow out Sharknado Sharknado but with no. a bigger budget obviously uh, let's hope not or do you actually go down the, the route of this could genuinely be a great monster movie uh, if we do it right mm. so yeah it could be Jaws on steroids I'd almost take a little bit of of uh, the early part of the Kraken Wakes, the great John Wyndham novel, if either of you have read that. Yes. Um, for the kind of the slow build and the tension and the havoc that something sea-based can wreak. Mm-hmm. And if you started with that then and that slow build-up, then you might have something worth seeing. That's the one with the aliens who... Who land, land in the deeps. In the deep. They're yeah, melting the ice, aren't they, yeah. and yeah. trying to drown everyone. Yeah. Oh, eventually, that's their kind it's of like... It's a great book. Yeah, it's a really, really mm. clever book. Really that's scary. Indeed. In fact, I'd like to see an adaptation of that. Yes. Come on, Hollywood, get on it. But actually, Nick, you mentioned there, Jurassic World's made all the money in the world, and that's probably something we should talk about as well, because mm-hmm. I don't think anyone saw this coming. There are two box office stories this year that I don't think anyone has seen coming. One is, so far, the box office champ this year is Fast and Furious 7. Mm. I don't think for much longer. I think Avengers will overtake it, and maybe Jurassic World will yeah. overtake that as well. Uh, so that's that, that. That was a bit of a surprise. I mean, we saw it coming, Chris. We, we saw it coming, Helen. Big. Obviously, I, I after it hit one point five billion, I was very wise to the fact, and I, <laughs> uh, it, you know, because we knew it'd be big. Yeah. But it's almost doubled the previous, yeah, movie in the franchise. But the second thing is Jurassic World, which this week broke all manner of records. It broke the. It's the first film ever to make five hundred million dollars worldwide in its opening weekend, uh, beating. 
uh, Harry Potter and the uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 uh, by some considerable distance. And in the States, and I did not see this coming, it uh, it beat the Avengers three-year yeah. standing record for the biggest opening weekend of all time with a $208 million haul. Uh, and that was actually revised upwards after initial estimates had it been the second biggest weekend yeah. of all time. I think, Something of, I think of everybody phenomenal. had underestimated how much... Um, people love dinosaurs. The other thing I think they did really well is they timed their they timed their their publicity push just right. Because I remember I was in a cinema in the US three or four weeks ago, and a trailer for Jurassic World came on, and somebody behind me said afterwards, "I didn't know they were making another one." Cool. So they there was literally there wasn't that much awareness three or four weeks ago, but then it built and crested really in a concentrated manner that actually just sort of pushed these figures I think so I think they did their timing really really well mm. it feels yeah it feels weirdly fresh given that yeah. it's the full film in a franchise I think they, that huge gap did 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 work and I think if this had come out straight after the third one I don't think this would have happened but yeah I saw it yesterday afternoon in Milton Keynes and it was a packed cinema and people were applauding at the end which I don't know <laughs> maybe that happens all the time Milton Keynes maybe they're just really happy yeah it's 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 heading I don't know where it's going to end up box well, office wise but it's yeah. uh, I'm, I'm guessing around the 1.5 actually I think it's, it's usually a triple of your opening weekend but it may have great legs I mean, it's got big, powerful T Rex legs. So lovely, big legs, lovely big dino (laughs) legs. Well, it's first, uh, you know, and hello, box office nerd here. The it's it's fourth day. It's it's first Monday in the states. Also broke records. Twenty five million dollar non holiday weekend, uh, Mm. non holiday day uh, Monday, which is which is phenomenal. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens this week. It's going up against Pixar's Inside Out. Uh, Even if it drops fifty to sixty percent, it's probably still going to win the weekend, as they say. Uh, Yeah, this thing could be absolutely enormous. And in a way, we should have seen it coming. You can kind of look at the Lost World, Jurassic Park, and you can look at Jurassic Park Three in particular, and the law of diminishing returns. And but. Jurassic Park was the biggest film of all time yeah. and it's hard, you know if you think back if you can think back because it's 22 years now some people may not have been born you, but if you do think back to that time it was everywhere it was a phenomenon and uh, yeah it's 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 probably no surprise that Jurassic World which uh, we think is a perfectly solid sequel I know a lot of people don't agree with that but uh, yeah I'm, I'm not surprised it's filled that vacuum but there's something to be said for patience because originally this would have come out last summer and yeah. Spielberg said it's not ready we need to push it back a bit and I think you know with so many big films now locked into dates before yeah. they've even written the script I think that's there's something to be said for getting it right I think that I, I completely agree there's a lot to be said for putting the film first and the release date second um, because I think what's what's happening more and more actually is you can see that if you have the right film, if you have a good enough film, the release date matters a bit less. You still need yeah a couple of weeks clear clear run, but you don't absolutely need to book it in six years in advance. You know, and if that makes for a worse film, then it's going to hurt your box office ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. And I do wonder as well: is this perhaps a reaction to all the superhero films coming out? Does this feel like something that's just different from <laughs> yeah. so many superhero movies? There have been, let's say, four consistently per year for the last eight years. Mm. Maybe less. Maybe let's say six. That cumulatively feels like a lot because they because they take up so much publicity space because they take yeah. up so much sort of cultural no, awareness. I, I get I get all of that. But I agree. You know, the the absolute number is lower, but their their cultural impact is bigger. So maybe mm. maybe that's an element of this feeling 
Yeah, more this, different the, than as it you is. know, this is a, a bugbear of mine. This, this perception that there's a, a tsunami, and it's coming. It is coming, especially now as DC and Warner Brothers are about to get in, into it big time. And if you know, if Fantastic Four is a success, Fox are going to step that up as well. And we already had three X Men movies next year with uh, new New Mutants and Wolverine Two, and, and much more to come. But at the moment, as things stand, especially if you don't count Guardians of the Galaxy as a superhero film, which I personally don't, then we've had one in the last year and since X-Men Days of Future Past and that's uh, Avengers Age of Ultron so I, I can kind of see that but at the same time we're going to get a lot of dinosaur movies now as well and in three years time we'll be going oh no, no, no not another dinosaur movie I want saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths in the next Jurassic film come on woo <laughs> I bet you, we actually. don't know what he's got in that, in that case yeah that would be fun come on that's unleash the saber-toothed tigers yeah or goats because <laughs> the goats, the goats just get eaten alive oh, in all I see. these films, and they need to get their payback. I thought you meant saber toothed goats, which was saber no, well, we do anything's possible. Okay, wow, wow. <laughs> and and certainly we know that Wu has no medical ethics and doesn't pay any attention to his animals once hatched. Yeah, he'll you put, know, he'll put saber tooths so. on. On saber anything. teeth on anything, yeah. <laughs> and if that means they can camouflage themselves as well, so be it. <gasps> oh yes. my god, guys! Lightsaber toothed tigers. <gasps> oh my god. I do genuinely wonder if that's the direction the Jurassic franchise is going to take now that they've they've gone down this route of genetic manipulation, kind of hybrids and stuff. You're There's seeing a, a crossover of... with Disney's Star Wars franchise. I am now. <laughs> that's amazing. Lightsaber dinosaurs. Lightsaber. Come on. I would say one more thing about Jurassic World. Um, Go on. I did the <clears> online <throat> preview of 2015 um, for the website, and uh, now it looks pretty certain that at least two of my billion dollar club are going to be in the Billion Dollar Club. Well, one already is, Avengers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Furious 7 already is. Mm-hmm. and Sorry, 3. And it now looks like Jurassic World is, is pretty solid as well. Mm. And this year as well, you'd imagine... The Star Wars. If Star Wars doesn't hit the Billion Dollar Club, someone somewhere is getting fired. Like, mega-fired. Like, like, none more fired. Fired into space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be force-choked and then fired. It'll be yeah. that bad. Uh, what else? What else could potentially uh, hit Spectre. a billion? Spectre. Spectre could hit a billion. And the other two I named... Okay which are a little bit more iffy, quality dependent. The final Hunger Games, they've been hovering around 800 Mm -hmm. and a bit. This -hmm. is the final one. And this one seems to have action rather than people talking in a bunker. I don't see it. Uh, It could happen. I'm I'm not guaranteeing that one. But I don't it could feel happen. it. But I'm not, maybe not the <clears throat> fan base, but I, I, I don't detect excitement. The last one was so boring. Yes, it was. It was set entirely in conference <laughs> rooms. But I would point out to you the, the, the case of the last two Harry Potters as well. There's a bump for the last one that you don't get for the second last. Yeah. It also happened with Twilight. That's true, but doesn't the the final Hunger Games book from I've not read it, but yeah. from everything I've heard, is a bit of a disappointment in itself. So it is, but maybe it'll work better on screen. Mm. Oh, we'll know. see. We'll, we'll see. see. Uh, and then one. the final, again, slightly iffier prediction, mm-hmm. but it's looking good from the trailers so far. Okay, is um, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. Now that's a big leap. It's a bigger leap. I that's uh, that's okay. That's what did the last one make? Six hundred million worldwide, roughly there or thereabouts. But that's that's. I think, based on what we've seen, mm. I think that's going to be the dark horse of summer in terms of it could be a really belting film. Yeah. I hope. I really hope it's good because I think the trailer is fantastic. I, I think Chris McQuarrie is great, but I do wonder, and I do wonder if the larger Tom Cruise issue. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow was fantastic. Probably yeah. looking back on it, that may have been the best film of last summer, uh, best blockbuster of last summer, and it just didn't do that well. And you wonder, is that because people don't like Cruise anymore, or what I, is that? I think the problem with those films, the issue with those films, perhaps, is that they're 
amazing set pieces with a, with a kind of loose plot built around them, mm-hmm. and you have to give those stunts away in the trailer. So I feel I feel like we've seen the best stunts in the film. Maybe I'm wrong, and there's tons more stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I will admit that one is a bit more of a a bit more of a guess. Yeah, I'd yeah, say. yeah. But I, I I just wouldn't rule it out because I think it looks what we've seen so far is really really strong. That makes me want to go see it on the big screen a lot. So. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna throw two more into this. And okay. Obviously, given I don't know whether anyone knows this, but Nick and I had a bet about box office this year, which I've already spectacularly lost because I genuinely believed that this year we would see a film hit two billion, and we we, we may still, still may. We, we may still, still. May. I genuinely believed that uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron would would hit the two billion uh, dollar barrier out of the out of the gate, becoming only the second movie to do so, uh, straight out of the gate and without re-releases. Mm. And we had a bet that. Was the, what was the, what was the bet? Was it the? You, I bet that both. You said it would. No, you you said Age of Ultron would hit two billion, and I said it wouldn't. And you said it was ten it, pounds. Was it as simple as that? Yeah. It wasn't the something Star Wars. No. Nope. Blah blah blah. Yeah. So it hasn't yet. Jurassic World. I don't know. Can it do it? I don't know. But you know, my my box office reputation is dwindling rapidly. But what about animated movies? Inside Out, Minions. Could Minions... Minions might... I mean, listen, the last uh, Despicable Me 2 made nine, 970 million. Mm. So it's not impossible to think True. that Minions, who are beloved by children all over the world... I saw a little kid today walking to school wearing a Team Minions cap. Wow. Um, it said, uh, it's not impossible that that could match that. I don't know. It's certainly not going to make two billion. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if it, if it got close to one. Indeed. And Inside Out. You never know. Inside Out looks like having the quality factor on its side. That may give it hugely long legs. I don't see it being a massive opening weekend, though. So there's not a lot of news out there, which is a good thing. It's a very good thing, and I'll tell you why it's a good thing. It's because uh, we are recording a live podcast, our third live podcast, this Sunday in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh International Film Festival this Sunday 21st of June summer solstice longest day of the year uh, we will be in our druid robes if anyone wants to come out and check it out it's going to be full on Wicker Man it's going to be amazing do come along to that we're going to be at the Film House 1 Sunday 21st of June uh, Film House 1 in Edinburgh uh, for two hours we've got some uh, really really cracking guests as well Emily Mortimer is going to be there Robert Sheehan's going to be there he's always fun and Corin Hardy the director of uh, forthcoming horror film The Hallow but also the Crow remake is going to be there I'm going to try and get him to spill in that and Jack Houston by the way dropped out of that this week so that's oh interesting there's something to talk about as well we'll be coming back to him a little bit later we will mm-hmm. we will Jack Fits. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Literally doesn't mean anything. Sorry. <laughs> so we're going to be at the uh, we're going to be up in uh, Edinburgh this week, recording it on Sunday. Uh, so do come along to that. Tickets are available via the uh, Edinburgh Film Festival website, or just five pounds a pop, uh, which is uh, an absolute bargain. There's going to be loads of spot prizes and stuff. It's going to be great, great fun. That podcast is then going to go up next Friday, as per tradition. So you know, but it means we have five days in between Sunday and. Friday, so if Hollywood could just stop making news, but if they could make a lot of news between now and, and Sunday, Sunday, okay, that would be brilliant. You know, like announce all your Star Wars sequels, announce Spider Man, announce all that stuff, so we have something to talk about on stage on Sunday. That'd be brilliant. Uh, but we'd love to see you there. It was great fun last year, uh, so do come along to that as well. And we should also mention as well our Jurassic World spoiler special with Colin Trevorrow. Okay, time now for our second guest. Uh, this is a man who's one of our favourite actors. He's one of our favourite knights of the realm, and he's one of our favourite people. Uh, he is, of course, Gandalf, Magneto. And now, Sherlock Holmes in Mr. Holmes, get over it. Uh, it's Ian McKellen, and he was talking to our resident 
Holmes nut, although Nick is also a Holmes nut, uh, Ali Plum, about a whole ton of Sherlock stuff from playing two different ages. He's 93 in the main part of the film, and then you flash back to him as a younger Holmes as well. There's also stuff about his uh, forthcoming uh, live uh, TV movie with Anthony Hopkins, The Dresser, uh, and just stuff about reuniting with Bill Condon, his Gods and Monsters director, on Mr. Holmes, and of course, the secret art of beekeeping, which plays a huge part in Mr. Holmes. Do enjoy. I was lucky enough to be on set, very briefly. Oh, were you? Yes. Yeah, very lucky. Where, where was that? Winchelsea. Yeah, Winchelsea, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. yes and yes. I discovered on set that your prosthetic nose, yep. as the older Sherlock Holmes, had a nickname, and the nickname was Shirley. The pause is that I couldn't remember that, but it sounds like <laughs> Shirley. We called it Shirley, did we? Yeah. <laughs> All right. The makeup artist was very pleased with that nickname. Dave, well, Dave Elsie, I mean, is, is a genius, and mm. I was very, very pleased with that makeup, nose included, mainly because it didn't take more than 45 minutes to put on. Was it pretty odd to see for the first time what you possibly could in another universe look like at 93? Well, I have played older men in, in the past, and, and uh, the funny thing is, if you look at the early photographs of Gandalf when we were filming in 2000, actually, he's got quite a youthful complexion, and, and <clears throat> although I was covered in makeup. So I, I wonder how absolutely convincing these old makeups are. But I did, I did think Dave Elsie for Mr. Holmes pulled something remarkable off on my stretching my skin and making it look very wrinkled and I, and I thought looking at myself it was it was very helpful to think ah now I must make my voice a bit wrinkled and I must make the rest of my body a bit wrinkled and uh, so it was very helpful but whether I look, look like that yes I probably will because I, I reminded myself of my grandfather who when he was only 84 then what was your reaction when Bill Condon first said to you I'd like you to play both a 63 year old and a 93-year-old, of the most iconic character in British literature, possibly. Dream job, isn't it? Really? Ah, okay. Because it was directed by Bill. I mean, if Bill had sent any script, I would have wanted to do it. And he has just sent me another one. I'm doing it now. Beauty and the Beast, Disney. So, yeah. Oh, Sherlock Holmes, that's a wheeze. A lot of other people have played Sherlock Holmes and done it rather well. Maybe, maybe I can join the number. I mean, hundreds of actors. And then, when I started reading this, I... I rather underestimated the script, actually. I, I, I thought I thought the intrigue was going to be, what was it that happened? Will he be able to remember, and will he solve that last case that uh, was some, has somehow been in abeyance for 30 years while he's been in retirement? And then it turns out, the film turns out to be about something more general than that. Uh, and, uh, and bees, of course. Oh, and bees, yes. Lovely bees, yes. Yeah, you, you became reasonably, well, friendlier with bees than you were before. I'd never had anything to do with bees. Mm. I'd, I'd never been stung by one. I kept a wary distance, and, and that is the best way, because they're going about their business. They're busy, of course, because they're bees. And uh, they're making honey, and uh, they don't need you to stand in the way of their flight path. Uh, and if you don't do that, and you've got a bit of smoke to hand to, to keep them calm down, you're going to be fine. And no bee was harmed uh, making this film, and no human was harmed by a bee. So we're all very mutually grateful to each other. Great co-star. And they were well looked after. And you see, the, 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 um, the hives were placed down there on our location mm -hmm. for a couple of months. They got used to living there. So when we arrived to do a bit of filming, all we had to do is um, be respectful. Mm. Now, you shot some of this film in studio at a 3 mil studio. 
which isn't too far away from the grape. Yes. What's uh, Ian McKellen rap party look like? Well, a rap party is just saying thank you to each other and, and, and goodbye and hope to see you soon. People are in a good mood uh, and then slightly sad mood, I suppose, to be saying goodbye. So it was that sort of party. You're not tempted to have a Sherlock pub quiz down at the Grape anytime soon? Ah, well, I, the quiz in the Grapes is every every Monday night, and I'm usually there, and uh, there hasn't been any Sherlock questions that I can remember, and probably should be. I mean, Limehouse, uh, which is where the Grapes is, is an area that uh, Sherlock Holmes knew mm. well. We talk about him as if he's a real person. <laughs> I think that's what's intriguing about him. People do, you know, he's, after all, he's got his statue in Baker Street. He's yeah. Of course he's real. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, Beauty and the Beast. Mm. I was wondering again in that instance, what did Bill ask you to uh, to work on before you took on the role? Since we made Gods and Monsters in 30 years ago, is it? I don't know. Uh, we've been good friends, so I've known usually what's coming up next for him. And there have been movies that he's mm-hmm. made, and, and I wondered whether I was going to be asked to be in them and so I, I I think I knew about Mr. Holmes before he asked me to do it. Uh, and I certainly knew about uh, Beauty and the Beast before he asked me to play uh, Cogsworth, the major domo who turned into an animated clock for much of the film. So it wasn't altogether a surprise. It's a total coincidence, but on TV just this weekend, Last Action Hero oh. was on, on the TV and I was watching it and suddenly Death Side oh, yeah. came out of the screen. Yes. And again, I was wondering... Who was that? No. Could that be... It is Ian McKellen. There, there it is. <laughs> Have you ever been caught out by watching yourself on screen? Have you ever gone, I think I'm in this? Uh, do sometimes turn on, say, Wolf Hall and think, when do I come on? And, and a number of us actors who appear in those sort of things think, why did we get overlooked this time? This seems like a me role. Oh, it's not, it's, it's not me. With Beauty and the Beast, just, just to go back, how do you act as a clock? Well, you don't. The, the clock's all been done for you. The, 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 the people who are doing the acting there are the animators, and these okay. days, animators go to acting school, you know. They're, 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 they're told to really get inside their parts. But I suppose in an ideal world, I would uh, um, be consulted about the clock more than I was. But Beauty and the Beast is a film that already exists, and, and, and I thought it's apparently too much for the audience to imagine a Cogsworth who looks different from the original. So I'm rather having to match my performance to the clock than <laughs> the other way around. Be our guest, be our guest. Kevin Klein is, is, is playing grandfather, and uh, all the other parts are taken, I think. <laughs> Uh, my friend asked me to ask you about working with Anthony Hopkins again. Yes. Again, I've never worked with him before. Ah, but I think you've kind of swapped roles a few times. I think you've both been up for roles that you've taken or he's taken. Is that right? Is it a, is it a pleasure to be working with him? Because he is the Anthony Hopkins. The, re- the reason I wanted to do The Dress, a, 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 a play which has had many manifestations, including a very successful film with Tom Courtney and Albert Finney, I, I've, whenever I've been asked to do it... Uh, on stage, I thought this was this belonged to other actors. But when Anthony Hopkins was going to play the old actor and I was being offered the dresser, which was another way around of looking at it, I immediately said yes, simply to work with with him. Of actors of my generation, he's um, way up there, isn't he? 
and am I glad I did? We 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 all had a wonderful time, and and a brilliant cast with us, Sarah Lancashire, and Emily Watson. I gather he's quite fun on set. Far too much fun on set. Far too many stories. But Anthony tells stories, but they're not the sort of stories most of us tell. You know, our favourite stories. Now he just has a, a memory that can alight on almost any episode in his life and, and, and he can fill it out with amazing detail. Mm. It, he's an astonishing memory. And he was in the company of people who were of an age to know what he was talking about when he referred to early radio programs that he'd known as a kid or his wartime experiences. And uh, he was on fine form. And uh, I hope we get to work together again. It's a, it's a very good outcome. It's a very good film. I'm glad to hear it. Well, not film. It, it's a televised play. Don't see that very much on TV these days. It's a rare treat, yeah. And yeah. finally, this X-Men Apocalypse movie, is is that something you'd in any way be involved with? Or is that long gone for you now? Is that world's past? Are you talking about the film that's currently being made? Yeah. There were hints that I was going to be involved. And then I was told definitely I wouldn't. And then, then, then I heard that Patrick Stewart was in it. And I thought, well, he has got a good agent. But I, actually, he's got the same agent as I had, so I got even more paranoid. But uh, apparently he's not in it. So Michael Fassbender, is it? I don't know. Seems to have taken over the role. He's a bit greedy. I think he's got these three films coming out this year. Mm. I don't know. You'd, you'd think he'd throw the crumbs to the old boys, but no manners. I think you need his agent. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, well, but you know, X-Men uh, goes through many manifestations in, in, in the comics on which these films are based. Things are always changing. You, you swing between the present and the past and the future, and uh, that, that's what they're doing in making the film. So I don't give up hope, but at the moment, uh, my magneto is no more. Ah, oh, well, real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ah, oh, what a delight. Isn't he, though? What a delight. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's great. Let's start the review section of the podcast with Mr. Holmes. Let's do that. Let's talk about Mr. Holmes. This is mostly set in 1947 with a very elderly Sherlock Holmes who's retired to the Sussex coast to raise bees. That is canon, by the way. That is what he's supposed to have done after he stopped detecting. Um, and he's obviously in his 90s by that point. He's extremely elderly, still fairly hale. Um, he's just returned from Japan where he went on a on a trip looking for some mind-boosting uh, medicine, essentially. Um, but he is beginning to... His memory is beginning to fail him. And obviously, you know, given that he is Sherlock Holmes, this is an extremely upsetting uh, and difficult thing to deal with. And one of the things that he can't really quite remember is his final case. And we, we flash back to about 1919, which is when he took this, uh, this young couple's case. Uh, the husband believed the wife was lying to him and was trying to find out why. And there were certain mysterious aspects that kind of piqued Holmes' interest. But he doesn't remember quite what went wrong. He knows he must have failed because after that he exiled himself to the country. But he doesn't know why. And he's trying to kind of remember and piece it together. That's basically the plot. You have Laura Linney as well as his housekeeper, who is uh, who's kind of uneducated, doesn't really understand him, doesn't really know much about him, uh, is just trying to get on with her life. Thanks very much. Uh, her young son Milo Parker, who um, or Milo Parker plays him. His name's Roger, uh, who's great, um, and he kind of strikes up a little friendship with Holmes. And it's basically an old man trying to unravel the secrets of his own past, which he's begot- begun to forget. 
I think it's fair to say. As you'd expect, really good performances, but maybe not a lot of propulsion to this. There's no real sense of urgency. It's a mood piece. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's about ageing, it's about getting older, it's about letting go of life. And as such, it's quite good, but it, it as a Holmes piece, it's a little odd. I had the same kind of problem. I, I really am quite a big Sherlock Holmes nut as well. Mm. And I just part of me just wanted to see a more traditional, Ian McCallum playing a more traditional kind of Holmes which he actually did via an audio book last year. He read uh, The Valley of Fear and uh, he introduced the, sc- the screening of this that I went to and he was saying then that he uh, had a bit of trouble doing all the voices because he had to juggle all the ac- American accents and stuff. <laughs> so, But he's, he is very good. It just doesn't feel a lot like Sherlock Holmes to mm. me and there, there's a few clever illusions and things, but yeah, I was a little bit disappointed. It just felt like this could have been a film about another guy. Yeah, it just feels like a, a nice character drama. That has very little to do with Holmes. I would say, if it were up to me and I were making a film about old retired Sherlock Holmes, I would have made Michael Chabon's The Final Solution, which is, um, the, and that sounds like it's in terrible taste, that title, but it's it's both a play on the final problem, which was the one where Holmes died. And it's also obviously a play on the Holocaust. And, and the, the premise of that film is that a, a sort of a, a catatonic boy turns up in Sussex and this old man who isn't named in it in the book but in, in turn starts investigating what happened to him and why he has these numbers yeah. that's bird that recites these numbers and and the kind of the premise of the book is basically that even Holmes can't solve the holocaust oh. Um, and it's a it's a much more interesting book. I would have liked to have seen a film in which an OAP Moriarty comes back from the dead, <laughs> and they're just chasing each other around on Zimmer frames. But that's just me. <laughs> but Neil Gaiman famously made the joke that Professor Moriarty retired to Essex to raise wasps, which is genius. <laughs> that, that, I mean, it is a good film. The acting is very strong. Laura Linney's accent has got some uh, drawn has some it? ire. Mm. I thought it was it's, very good. I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. It's well. Yeah, but I see what you mean. There were moments where the the intonation was slightly off, but generally I thought it was really strong. That accent's been made. It didn't bother me so much, but quite a few of the reviews have kind of mentioned it. It's very poignant. It's very sad. It's very melancholy. Maybe part of it is that in the in the books, uh, Conan Doyle's books, uh, Sherlock Holmes is not really an emotional character at all. He doesn't Mm. have any of that side to him. So suddenly seeing this very emotional story about him feels a bit weird. I liked it. I liked it. It sidestepped the 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 problem of. Uh, Holmes being a little bit more emotional or a bit more openly emotional by by basically saying, well, this is Holmes telling his story now. That Watson is not a part of this, and Watson, you know, fictionalized his stories, yeah, yeah fictionalized things and held certain things back. And I, yeah, I, I really like this film. I, I like this film more than um, the official Empire rating. I think for me, this is a real Sunday afternoon soaker for film, mm. and it's, it's not that long either. So complies length, but it it. it it, it, was, it felt for me something that you can sit on your sofa of a Sunday afternoon, close the curtains and, and just revel in these great performances. And I, I, I really liked the, the bond between uh, Holmes and uh, young Roger, which is very, very nice. It's a really gentle film. Mm. It really doesn't go anywhere particularly. Uh, and certainly not fast. I'd use yeah. the word slight. Because it's based again, uh, we, as we should mention, on the novel "A Slight Trick of the Mind" by Mitch Cullen. But yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was a really nice, and there's some really really nice things about it. I liked the flashbacks to the more sure uh, homes of when, when he's in his seventies and he's he's going about his business. And uh, there's a lovely little touch at one point. He goes to see a film adaptation yes. of one of his most famous cases, and the actor playing the actor playing Sherlock Holmes in that film within the film is uh, Nicholas Rowe who played of course young, young Sherlock, Sherlock. Holmes. 
and I just thought it was a really really nice touch mm. and it's you know it's it's comfortable with its, with its home's knowledge and it's comfortable with its home's lore and um, it it does change some things from the book as well, which which is which is nice. Yeah, I I, I liked it. It would make a very good double bill with young Sherlock Holmes. Just yes. play those back to back. Yeah, that would be great. It would. It would. Yeah, perfectly pleasant film for me. Uh, but we gave it three stars, which, as we always say on the podcast, is of course a recommendation. Speaking of three star recommendations, Entourage the movie is out this week. Yes, it is. I watched all ninety six episodes of Entourage not too long ago for uh, a new feature called Crib Sheet in our, in our magazine. Mm-hmm. That was an experience, 96 episodes in a week, so maybe I was a little bit entouraged out. But there's kind of a bit of a decline in the show. It starts off very strong, very good cameos, people like James Cameron and lots and lots of big names, and it's very much about the movie industry. It's very smart satire. And for me, and I know quite a few other people, it goes downhill as it becomes more of a soap opera and it becomes much more about these guys and their various relationships, which never really amount to too much, Mm. for me anyway. I was hoping the movie would be more of a return to the the industry stuff, and it's not really. It's much more of a kind of soap opera. Vince, the main character, got married at the end of the season and the film picks up and he's divorced. and So it just unpicks everything that, that the show finished on. For me, it just felt like it was treading water a little bit and going back over old storylines we'd already seen. How did you feel, Helen? Um, I was pretty negative on it, to be honest. I, I dipped in and out of the show. I was never a, a crazy huge fan, which may be why I'm quite so lukewarm. But at the same time, it, it's not a brilliant set of characters. As they're presented here, they are not that interesting. There is no subplot for Vince, really, at all. Nothing. All we're told is he's directed this film. Oh, and it's great. So he's a first-time director. He's had everything handed to him on a plate, and he's apparently knocked it out of the park. That's it. That's his storyline. Nothing else. You don't get to see him directing the film because no. because the old the old seasons of Entourage they would actually have a season where he was making a film and they'd have stuff happening on set and the actors he would have been working with. I think that stuff would have been quite fascinating. Yeah. And it needed more of that. There was a, a storyline for Johnny Drama, which was cut, because Channing Tatum was going to be in the film, and Johnny Drama was going to be uh, appearing in Magic Mike, the new Magic Mike film, as, <laughs> as a stripper. And it needed more of that kind of yes. stuff. It needed to feel more like it was linked into Hollywood as it is now. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's Hollywood at all anymore, because literally everything we're told about this film, you know, even from our perspective, not being terribly connected to the film industry in the sense of being in Hollywood, but it doesn't ring true, like the Sex and the City movies, in the sense that there was a show that had an idea um, that had real meat to its relationships, and that got stripped away for the movie version, and they just focused on the outside glitz. On the plus side, there are a few good cameos. Piers Morgan is not one of them, but um, <laughs> Liam Neeson appears. I don't think it's a spoiler to reveal some of the stuff because there was a trailer which mm. just literally listed every cameo in the film. Liam Neeson turns up very briefly, and the Ari uh, uh, Jeremy Piven's Ari has a great line uh, shouted at him. And Jeremy Piven is probably the the, the best in terms of the ensemble, mm. as he was in the show. He's he's entertaining throughout. He's very angry. He's very stressed. You know, you've kind of seen him do it before, but it's fun to see him do it on the big screen. It's fine. It just could have been a lot better, I think. I will say one thing that confused the hell out of me was the timeline of this film. I couldn't figure it out. It picks up just after the final season of the show. So however many years ago that was. But there's a billboard for The Jinx, which is a brand new HBO show, which just aired this year. And at one point, they bump into Mark Wahlberg, who's coming out of an ADR session for TED Free. Pretty sure he says TED Free. He does, yeah. I wrote it down. Yeah, he does. So is this film happening in the past, the present, or the future, <laughs> or all three simultaneously? 
Oh, it's like, it's in, does it happen in the Tesseract? Is that, <laughs> is that where it takes place? That really confused me. And if anyone can figure out when this, what year this film is set, please let me know. The greatest minds of our time have been tasked with the challenge. This, this is going to be fun to see what happens. So uh, we gave we gave Entrange three stars. Any Piers Morgan completists out there? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Something in my throat. <laughs> he is in it a lot. He's in it way too much. He, yeah. Well, in, in his ongoing, sp- no, hang on. Someone said, uh, yeah, because he on Twitter this week, someone uh, said, oh, it's you know, it's a cameo, and he went, no, it's a part. He was bragging to John Cleese. He was uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was in a Twitter spat with John Cleese, and he said, oh, which yeah. of us has got a, which of us has got a number one movie coming out? I will say this, you know, if you loved Entourage and you enjoyed it all the way up to the end of the HBO series, you'll enjoy this. What if, like me, you? you stopped watching Entourage after four episodes because everyone in the show was just unspeakably awful. Three stars for Entourage, <laughs> uh, Len. And the last film we're going to discuss this week. Hey, Helen. Hey. You're going to love this. Am it's, I? It's a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. Oh. The Longest Ride. <laughs> starring Scott Eastwood. <laughs> you okay over there? You I'm fine, right? no. Okay. no um, this is, yes, I always enjoy uh, another chance to see the Nicholas Sparks formula. I mean... Uh, Oh, uh, put he on the really screen. is an auteur. He he really is the tenth Nicholas Sparks film, believe it or not. And this one stars you won't believe it two really good looking white people no. in North Carolina. I know it no seems way. impossible, and yet here we are. Uh, they're played by Britt Robertson, who you recently saw, of course, in Tomorrowland. Well, most people didn't, but some oh, people did. I'm sorry, come that was on, mean. Come anyway, on. and uh, and Scott Eastwood, who is preposterously handsome. Clint's son. Clint's son, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. But, like, makes his dad in his young days look, you know, mildly okay looking. No, his dad in his younger days was, was pretty special as yes, well. Yes, I know. And yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's better looking than that. You're saying that? I am. That's a big statement. I'm not saying he's more attractive. I'm just uh-huh. saying he's better looking. He uh, he is a manly man. Yeah. You know, chiselled out of pure granite. <laughs> Very nice of you to say, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot you were still in the room, Nick. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, Scott, so, so Scott Eastwood then. Yeah, so he's a bull rider. She's an uh, an arts student in college. Um, the two of them have an instant spark of attraction, but he's all like, you know, bull riding. <laughs> and, and she's all, I must go to New York for an internship in art. This is amazing. It's already amazing. So then they rescue an old man who's run off the road, and it turns out that he's Alan Alda, but he used to be Jack Houston. I told you we'd come back to Jack Whoa. Houston. Whoa, stop, stop a second. Stop, okay. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, so they pick up an old man. Yes. Who turns out to be Alan Alda. Yes. Now, please tell me he's actually Alan Alda in the film. <laughs> Uh, and then, so he was formerly, <laughs> he was formerly Jack Houston. Yes. How do we know he was formerly Jack Houston? Does, uh, do we see flashbacks with Jack yes. Houston? Yes. Who's also a very handsome chap. So this movie well, has a preponderance yeah. of handsomeness already. I mean, yeah, he's not, he's no Scott Eastwood, is he? So in terms of the, the, uh, the, the sort of Hollywood dynasties, you're more in Team Eastwood than you are in Team Houston. I mean, in terms of just handsome, sure. Okay. Okay. Right. So anyway, um... <laughs> I feel like we're losing the thread slightly. Alan Alda flashes back to to his days as Jack Houston when he was in love with Una Chaplin, and they a had Chaplin a whole... as well. I know. Hang on a second. This is crazy. I'm not entirely sure if she's the, one of those she Chaplins. Is. She, she is, is one of those. Yeah, Chaplins. she is. Okay, so yes, <laughs> all of the dynasties basically, and Britt Robertson. Is Britt Robertson related to anybody? Not that I know of, Cliff but I feel Robertson. like we should look into it. Cliff Robertson. That's okay. like she's his great niece. Yes. Okay. Great niece of Cliff Robertson. So. Um, they're all torn about whether to stay together, given that she's moving to the city and he's staying in the country, on one hand. Then, 
Alan Alda's all mourning his wife and flashing back to their whole story no. but on the other hand and the We're two both stories here, by the well way. exactly Sorry. as as you should be because somebody's going to die at the end <sighs> yeah no you know it that's a part of the formula it has to happen can, is there anything we can do to stop it um you you could leave the cinema halfway through what if we don't go into the cinema in the first place he's still going to die oh, okay so, oh, hey, oh is it he or is it oh okay <laughs> There's only one thing I want to know, Helen. Sure. Is there a ghost? Is there a lady ghost again in this one? <laughs> sadly, sadly, no. I think if any of you have seen Safe Haven, you will know that that is the best twist in any Sparks book to date. <laughs> and I use the term really loosely. Does anyone walk on the beach looking windswept and forlorn in this movie? Um, no, actually, they don't. See, he's there's a lot of walking up. in the rain in these movies. I've never seen one, I'll be honest, but I, I've heard about them. And. Um, uh, Let's see. People do look forlorn, uh-huh. for sure. Okay. Um, I just don't remember them doing it on the beach. Does this anyone time. say at any point you're tearing me apart? With their eyes, they oh, say that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of giggling at the screening I went to. I'll be honest, like a lot. And there is a scene of people running along the beach in the surf, you know, throwing each other around into the water and that kind of thing. Okay. So I feel like that should count for something. But they don't take out passers by like a naked gun. <laughs> no, they don't. Sadly. <laughs> okay. So the longest ride. So what, the longest what ride. What does that refer to? That title is it? Is that the, the show stopping twelve and a half minute long sex scene, <laughs> or or what is that? It's because he's a he's a bull rider, right? He's a bull rider. Ah. So it works on like at least one level. It's it's a crowbar in line. <laughs> at most one level, I think. <laughs> it's it's a crowbar in line uh, that that Alan Alda says from one of his letters. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with anything. Uh, okay. Unless we use it in the Irish sense. Sounds great. Yeah. Filth. So, I mean, listen, if you like Nicholas Sparks, it's fine. If you don't like Nicholas Sparks, obviously stay far, far away. Okay. It's not as sparksy as Dear John, which I think is like peak Sparks, mm-hmm. but it's not as ludicrous as Safe Haven. Three stars because what the hell, why not? But also, you know, if you are Nicholas Sparks, then give a five. Why not? And if you uh, are not Nicholas Sparks, then it may not be a three. Also out this week, but well, we haven't seen it in the pub booth, we haven't seen it, but also out this week is a real oddity called Accidental Love, which is lost David or Russell film uh, called Nailed. I don't know if you know this story, but a few years ago, he, made it, he started to make a film called Nailed with uh, Jessica Biel and Jake Gyllenhaal. And then... Weirdly, because it's David or Russell, funding ran out for a number of reasons, roughly about halfway to two thirds of the way through the shoot. And so the film got shelved. And then he went on and he started, you know, doing all his Oscar stuff with American Hustle and Silver Linings Playbook. And he never came back to the film. He never got the funding to finish the film. But someone has now finished the film. And uh, David Russell is not credited as a director in this one. Uh, what's, the, what's his name in this one, Nick? Stephen Green. Stephen Green. Okay, thanks, Nick. <laughs> Your voice is so high. Stephen Green. So it's, a, it's the new Alan Smith thing. And the film has been somehow finished and cobbled together and is, uh, by all reports, dreadful. Uh, we gave it one star, which is not a recommendation, but uh, but there you go. Check it out if you want to see a real curio that I think David Russell would rather you didn't see. So there you go. Mm. It is what it is. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more Formulated Fun. We'll be doing, uh, we'll have the recording of our live show from the Edinburgh Film Festival. Again, if you live in and around Scotland, uh, do come up and see us. It's going to be a lot, of, a lot of fun. Emily Mortimer, Robert Sheehan, Corin Hardy, live studio audience. It's going to be fantastic. Until then, it's goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to agree with my cock. Stop reading grey, Chris. I can't stop it. It, it. You know, if I start, it's like Pringles, isn't it? If I start, I won't be able to stop. So maybe I shouldn't start at all. 
but safest. It is for the best. See you next week. Thanks.